Hey there, it's Matt from Generator. I would love for you to be able to listen to all of our new episodes as soon as they come out. So please make sure you follow us on your podcast app of choice or just head over to generatorpodcast.com. Also, if you like the show and want to support me, you can now leave me a tip with no membership necessary. It's just like tossing a buck or two into the hat of a street performer. So when you listen to an episode at generatorpodcast.com, you'll see a donate button right in the player. And please know that while it's never necessary, It's always greatly appreciated. So that's it. Thanks again for taking the time to listen. And now let's start the show. Hey, folks, welcome to episode 13 of Generator. This one I'm calling Building Wealth for a Dream Life because my guest this week is Nikki Klosser. This is a really special episode for me. I've been wanting to interview Nikki for years now. You may know her as a cornerstone of the Sue Bryce education platform. She was one of Sue's original mentors. You probably know her best for being the host of the Portrait System podcast, which just hit 2 million downloads. It's a staggering number of downloads, but it just proves how good she is at what she does. Nikki is truly one of the most down-to-earth, humble, talented, driven, ambitious, kind, generous folks that I've ever had the chance of meeting. I'm truly lucky that our paths have crossed. And this week, we're talking all about her investment company called Dream Life Investors, where she talks about investing in real estate and how that's helping her build wealth for herself, for her family, and the dream of retiring early so that she can just work on her farm. It's a beautiful story. I love listening to Nikki. I love being inspired by her energy all the time. So I hope you sit back and relax. This is something I've been waiting for for a long time. I hope you enjoy it. This is Nikki Klosser. Now on with the show. I have to say, I've been waiting for this episode for years. Before I started Generator, I'm like, I've got to interview Nikki someday about what it is that she does, because she's everywhere. She does everything, always smiling. How do I create a podcast that can eventually get Nikki on as a guest? That's kind of where I'm at. Um, So having you here, it's it's only at times where it's formal like this where I can force you to sit and listen to kind things about yourself because <laughs> otherwise we deflect and we we move away. But you've been such an incredible inspiration for me, not only photographically, but business-wise and then also with podcasting. I just wanted to express to you, while you can't back out, my <laughs> sincere thanks for just everything you bring to my life helping me do all of this. So thank oh, you. thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. I mean, I know like we obviously know each other through the photographic community and sure. you've been someone that I'm very, very glad to have met just such a good energy. And, you know, when I interviewed you on the podcast that, that I do for photographers, I was like, you've got this voice, man. Like you should <laughs> utilize that. Like there's <laughs> something trying. about your voice that is very, you know, it's just, 
a really great voice, like a radio voice. I get, you know, I don't know. Who knows? I, I don't know. So the funny thing is you hear the, your voice in your head and then you hear recordings of your voice and they never match up. No, right? it's weird. It's super it's weird. Really weird. Own. So when I hear myself on a podcast or, you know, doing TV or whatever, it never really sounds like me. And I was like, oh, sh-. like I listened back to, I don't know if you ever listened to your podcast, but I listen back every now and again. And I'm like, oh, that sounds terrible. Or damn, that sounds great. Like I have no yeah. idea where it's going to fall in between, but yeah, I have ever, my moments. you ever hear that like with your own voice? Oh, totally. Totally. I remember the first time I forced myself to kind of sit and, and even to watch on video. And for people listening, if you've never done this, I recommend it. Like I forced myself to sit there and, you know, I heard the negativity about certain things. Like my left eye is always puffy. Although right now in the light, this looks puffy, but I know I have a puffy left eye. I know I have a certain mark on my face when I smile that no one else probably notices, but we are our own worst critics and in kind of forcing myself to watch myself and listen to myself. Really, it really helped. And it just got easier, I guess. I don't know. I got more comfortable with what I, I sounded think, like. And I think it's that it's the repetition breeds comfort, mm-hmm. right? Where we hear it, we get used to awkward silences, mm-hmm. learn or try to learn. I'm still learning not to speak over people, give mm-hmm. things space to breathe, right? Because mm-hmm. you can always edit it out later. I think part of it is with anything developing the craft, it's just the repetition of doing it over and over and over. With your podcast just hitting 2 million downloads, massive, massive, how are you feeling about all of it? And what I mean by that is like, it goes well, it's clearly a success. How do you feel about it overall? How do you feel about podcasting and how it's grown and where you are with it? How do you feel about that? I mean, I feel really excited. The numbers are definitely like, holy shit, wow, you know, that makes me kind of go, especially because this isn't this isn't like a podcast for the masses. I mean, it's a it's a it's niche niche, yeah, for photographers. And I think if it's not so much the numbers, it's the messages and things that I get from people saying, Hey, you've helped me a lot. And I think that's what, you know, you know, I was a social worker prior to becoming a photographer. I was a social worker. That's what I did. That's what I have a master's in, you know, for over a decade. That's what I did. And moving into the photography world didn't feel as, I mean, I think you can help people through photos. You know that, you know, just as much as any other photographer knows that. But I think getting the messages from people about how helpful it is brings me back to kind of my roots of who I am and wanting to, you know, give back and do my part. Yeah, I guess that's that's part of it. Do you find like all that background, the social work, I can't imagine how much of a grind that must have been, right? And I've heard you yeah. talk about how it was really. just this really, really um, oppressive type of job. Mm-hmm. But we're made the way we're made and we help people the way we help people. And, you know, you find yourself in certain positions, whether it's social work or photography or education or whatnot. And there are these common threads that go through all your careers. Clearly helping people and guiding people is really, really strong in you. Do you find yourself leaning back on some of those social work tendencies, whether it's podcasting, whether it's investing, whether it's, you know, doing your photography, do you find like those old habits kicking back in? Oh, the way totally. you deal with people. Yeah. Totally. And I don't 
want to sit here and be like, look at me, I help people. Like hmm. a lot of times people who help others do it because they like what they get from that. Oh, look what a good person you are. You know, I think I needed to feel like I was a really good person because I was maybe I wasn't getting that from areas that I would hope to get that from and it wasn't coming intrinsically. So I think that's a lot of where like, oh, I know I'll fix it. My messed up everything, you know, anything that was messed up in my life, I'll fix it by being a social worker and, you know, helping other people. Anyway, so there is that part of me. I think being a podcast host, clearly I like to be in the spotlight, you know, or, you know, so I don't want to say that I'm this like, you know, so amazing because I like to help people or whatever, because I get something out of it too. I do. I mean, all of us who are in the like forefront or the spotlight, we do it for a reason because we enjoy it, you know, so there is, there is that piece to it. But when it comes back to like the social work, so much of what I did was building connections and relationships with people so that people know, like, and trust me it genuinely, like authentically. And that's something I feel like I'm really strong at. And I think that helped me with my photography career because with the, with the portrait system, the pod, the other podcasts that I do, it is me interviewing other people. I have to listen. I have to ask the right questions. Like that's how it was when I was doing in-home family therapy with families who were mandated by the court to have therapy or when I was working in the schools and doing groups with kids, like you have to know how to listen and ask questions and just genuinely be curious about people. And I think that has helped me grow my business. It helped me start with real estate investing because people who know, like, and trust me through the photography world are now investing with me Mm -hmm. with my uh, real estate syndication company and it all is intertwined and it all goes back to like my roots. It really does. It's, it's fascinating to me. I use the word fascinating a lot because I truly am curious about what drives people. And as I was, as I was growing up and not receiving certain things at home that I wanted to receive, you know, hugs, love, that sort of thing, (laughs) but you wind up, you wind up developing these personality traits, right? Mm -hmm. You want to solve the problems. You want to keep the peace, the very people pleasing sort of attitude, right? And it's a learned behavior and it's, it's a way to keep yourself alive and surviving. Um, and that's fine. It's interesting how it manifests itself later in life. So when we find out that we are, I know I am a people pleaser at my core. Same. Yeah. I get a huge thrill out of seeing that I helped somebody. And it's not because I get any level of affirmation or attention from it. It truly feels good to me to have helped someone and see a smile on their face. And I think you've been able to craft this in a way with that kind of empathetic, authentic voice where it's a natural bridge for people to follow you from one enterprise to another, right? As you build your wealth, as you build your empire, you're still... Nikki personal branding photographer, you know, sitting at a creative live class in the audience, right? (laughs) And watching that and now seeing where you are, there's been in from the outside, no change in character. And I think it just becomes a natural happenstance that if people feel like they were being sold to over and over, they wouldn't stick around. So I think that speaks a lot to you may not be actively guiding people, but you've definitely developed um a method by which you can build that trust and authenticity. And it's just, it's awesome to see because everything that comes out, people are like, yeah. And it's not because there's some glitz over you. It's just like, oh, we know it's going to be a good product. 
I mean, I was just putting like my chickens away before I, you know, like there's definitely like, although yeah, there but, is a chandelier in my chicken. I, was I guess there is some glitz. Okay. I'm going to be real. There is, I mean, my chickens have a chandelier, but you know, keeping <laughs> it down like, home over here. Slow your roll, Betty May. You've got wallpaper in your chicken coop. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful like it's it's amazing to see thank you for all of that though i appreciate that um but i wanted to really shift and talk less about the podcast and photography because anybody can find you doing that stuff anywhere but i really want to talk about the syndication investment i want to talk about the wealth building i want to talk about the commercial real estate and where you're going with that for me it came out of left field to connect you with commercial investing yeah but can you give me a little bit of history there? Like how you, how you developed this? Was this always a dream that you had and dream life? Okay. So if you, well, funny that you say that <laughs> I was always interested in homes. Like I would ask my mom to drive me around and look at all the big, cool Victorian homes. Right. I was fascinated, but it wasn't ever like, Nikki, what kind of, you know, which house are you going to have? Or, you know, it was, my mom told me later in life that it upset her because she didn't like, she couldn't give that type of home to me, you know, and my mom, she always did the best, you know, both my parents, they did the best they could. They loved us. They, you know, they're human beings. They did things wrong. I forgive them. I love them. And I thank them for all of the wonderful things they've done for us. So just that, you know, so I kind of had it in my head from a young age that I was not supposed to be this super successful, you know, like I remember when I, I said to my dad, I was going to buy a house. This was, I was like, I was in grad school because he was still alive. He passed away when I was 24. So I was in the middle of grad school. My boyfriend and I were living together and I was like, I really want to buy a house, dad. And he's like, you can't buy a house. That was his response. And I was like, you know, it just like crushed me. And he was right. I was in credit card debt. Like, I don't know how I thought I was going to buy a house, you know, but him saying that I couldn't always stuck with me, I guess. So if you would have told me then that I would have 80 units of commercial, you know, multifamily real estate, I, I wouldn't have ever believed it. So I don't, I don't think it was always a dream. I've always been really interested in homes and architecture. And I mean, that's not like commercial multifamily is not, no, it's not the same Beautiful Victorian homes or anything like that. But so no, I didn't always have an interest in it. Was the dream, like as you're driving around these neighborhoods looking at houses, right? Because I used to kind of do the same thing. We weren't we weren't by any means even middle, middle class growing up. We were much lower middle class, if if that. And I remember going around and always dreaming about these big houses and owning houses like that someday. And it was never that, like you said, that my parents weren't giving me shelter or anything like that. It was just like, wow, that looks amazing. It's something to aspire to, right? Yeah. As you grew up. And I can't imagine that the real estate investing was something that you were doing, right? You were social worker. Were you always thinking about moving in that direction? Was it just, you couldn't put the pieces together of how to do it? No, I actually did buy my very first, uh, it was a condo. So I must've been 26, 27. And I bought it at like the height of the market. I, I was living in Michigan, which is where I live now. I didn't live here for a long time, but I'm back now. But I bought it in Michigan at the height of the market you know, where they were giving out loans left and right. And I had a, like a shitty, you know, arm adjustable loan, whatever. I didn't know what I was doing. So I bought it. And then that was 2004, 2007. Of course the market crashes. 
And the condo was worth like an eighth of what I bought it for, if that. And then I met Dan, my hu- my now husband, and we decided we were going to move to Seattle. And so I had to hold on to the condo because I couldn't sell it because it was so underwater. There's no way. Finally, you know, before we had our own, our, I bought any other properties, the uh, HOA told me I was no longer allowed to rent it. And I wasn't supposed to rent it in the first place, but I was like, it's either foreclosure or I rent it. And, right. you know, like that's my options because I'm moving to Seattle. So anyways, they told me I couldn't rent it anymore and I ended up selling it. I signed the papers the day I gave birth to my second son and uh, I still was underwater. Like I still ended up losing like $8,000 on it. So I was jaded with real estate. Like I don't want anything to do with real estate. That was like my mindset. So it's interesting how things shift. (laughs) And then you start your family, right? You're in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Do you start looking at property there or is it just still just back of your mind? One quick thing I want to say before I forget is something that I really learned in looking back that I didn't know I was learning at the time is real estate is, it can't be an emotional game. I never should have bought that condo. It was emotion. Yeah, It was a bad loan. The numbers really didn't work. Where now when I'm looking at anything, whether it's a personal property or an investment property, do the numbers work? And you can't pad it. You can't pretend it works. You can't ignore the property tax or the, you know, the capital expenditure and all of these things. You can never look at real estate with emotion. That's all I'm going to say that. <laughs> I can come back to that too and tell you more. But okay, so we went from, you know, we ended up buying a home in Seattle and we bought in a very up and coming neighborhood uh, that was cheaper. And my friends were like, you're buying an white center. And I was like, yeah, that's all we can afford. That's what we're doing. Cause I am not going to ever buy based on emotion or wanting something that I can't afford again. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So we bought in white center. And in the meantime, I wanted to be in Michigan. My husband wanted to be in Seattle. You know, we both grew up in Michigan family here. We now have two babies. So we were going back and forth from Michigan to Seattle all the time. Mm -hmm. And I started Airbnb this, the Seattle house while we weren't there. Cause we were leaving for a month at a time and the house was sitting there empty. So that was kind of my first taste of like, Oh wow. Like, okay, I'm making like one to $2,000 a month from Airbnb, but two babies and having to pack up a whole house every time we go back and forth. Cause you know how it is with Airbnb. You can't just leave your shit everywhere. Like it was really hard. It was really hard. Anyway, buying in the crappy up-and-coming na- neighborhood, which is now great, you know. Is well, it beautiful? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is what it, you know, it's, it has, <laughs> it come, has, up. It has come up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and we had a lot of equity in the home. And yeah. we ended up taking out what's called a home equity line of credit, or you might hear it called a, a HELOC. And the interest rate was good on the the HELOC. And they were like, yeah, you can have, uh, it was either a hundred or 150,000. And so now I'm, okay, let me back up one more time. In order to be the host, Matt, of the portrait system, which you were an amazing guest on, I ha- my research was to listen to a real estate podcast called Bigger Pockets because they wanted to structure it similarly, you know, with a kind of same structure. So they didn't want me to learn about real estate. They wanted me to learn how to be a good host. And when I was listening to it after like the second episode, I called my husband. I'm like, why are we not investing in real estate? Like, I know I had a bad experience with the condo, but I'm learning so much, you know? So that's when I decided to apply for the HELOC because we had so much equity in the home. And so then we had, I think it was a hundred thousand. We're going to do a flip home. 
and in Michigan, because it's much more affordable in Michigan than it is out in Seattle. And the agent that I was working with was like, like we were going to buy a home for like $60,000 cash and then use the remainder to fix it up. And he's like, why aren't you investing in commercial real estate? And I was like, I don't know, should I? Because he's also a commercial agent. And so he was like, yeah, yeah, you should. And so from there, I started reading it more and listening to podcasts about commercial real estate and just educating myself as much as possible. And instead of doing the flip, we ended up purchasing a six unit here in Michigan. And that was townhouses, really six mm-hmm. units. And that was my first, um, my first investment. Yeah. Do you have to go in with those units and fix them all up or are they basically ready to go? Or it's just an ownership transfer. Is it a mix yeah. of both? It's a little bit of both. I actually purchased this one on a land contract because I didn't want to put 25% down. And a lot of times commercial loans, you need to have 25% down. And the the guy who was selling it, he's an older gentleman. He was ready to be done with it. He wanted the price he was asking for it. And people were coming in and offering him cash at a lowball price and that sort of thing. So he said, I'll give you full price if I only have to put 15% down. And we'll do it on a land contract. And so that's what we did uh, for the first two years. And then I refinanced cash out. It's called cash out refinance into a traditional loan. The units needed some work. There was a lot of deferred maintenance. And that's kind of the strategy I've used is purchasing buildings that aren't like falling down, but that they have been mismanaged. The rent is way lower than it should be. There's the deferred maintenance because I want to come in and make this a better place for people to live with the understanding that rent is going to go up, but we're not, I'm not an asshole. I'm not like your rent's going up $8,000, you know, cause we experienced that in Seattle with renting. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. But yeah. like, you know, we're going to make sure, fix your dishwasher. We're going to like, we have a property in Detroit where people were like living with rats and mold. Like it was really bad. Yeah. So we're coming in and we are like making this a safe, much better place to live, but your rent's going to go up 50 bucks a month. You know, people are like, fine, like (laughs) no problem, you know? So the idea is that there are so many different ways to invest in real estate, Matt. There are, you know, short-term rentals. There are, there's like um, commercial office spaces. There's um, single family homes. There's flipping. There's so many ways to do it. And kind of what the route that we have, chosen that we feel really comfortable with is purchasing kind of mismanaged buildings and increasing the equity of the building by increasing the profits. Um, and sometimes increasing the profits might mean like we found a leak in one of our buildings. Well, I didn't, but the plumber found a leak. I was like, why is this water bill insane? You know? And there were a couple like really bad leaky toilets and we fixed that. And the next thing you know, we're saving two grand a year on the water bill, which means the value of the building goes up because the net operating income goes up. So it's a whole thing. Like I was no real estate investment expert. Like you, like this is, I knew nothing until I started learning. So anyone can do this, you know? um, This is, this is where I wanted to drive to. I grew up with very little, if any financial knowledge, right? So I know there's a lot of folks my age and younger that were taught finances growing up and how money works. I'm not talking about just basic currency exchange, but how to leverage assets, how to yeah. use debt to your advantage. Like yeah. I I know so little about that and still admittedly don't. But then you, you know, you read something like 
rich dad, poor dad, the millionaire yeah. next door. Yeah. You start listening to podcasts and educating yourself and you realize there is no magic to any of this. Most folks aren't patient enough these days mm -hmm. to wait for the right opportunity for fear of missing out on what looks really good right now. How have you been able to balance that? I'm, there's got to be a building that you've seen like, we've got to get this. And it's like, eh. yeah, that is it's so interesting that you bring all of this up because this has been hard for me. And I think um, I'm someone who just acts sometimes. Okay, not anymore. I have really shifted that. But I'm like, I want to go to Nepal. And I know I have no, this was, you know, in my 20s. I'm like, but I don't really have any money, but I'm just going to put a plane ticket on my credit card and I'm leaving next week, you know. That is kind of how I've operated. So this has been a really big shift change for me. Um, you know, when it came to the properties that I purchased on my own, or my husband and I did, there was definitely a lot of restraint. You you just, you have to have restraint just because something looks shiny and new and, you know. And Matt, I don't know if it, just going back to something that you said, I was personally raised that, you know, you pay off your house, you invest in the stock market. You get a you get a degree in, in college, and then I had student loans. You know, my parents didn't pay for my college. Student loans. You work hard, and you invest in the stock market. You get a four hundred one k, and that's what you do. And I did not see myself living the life that I wanted with doing this map that was laid out for me. These steps. There was no way there is Matt. There is no way I would have my lake house, the house that I live on at 10 acres and all of this. If I had just stuck with 401k, not a chance in hell. And it comes down to doing things that I know. So I don't know the stock market. I don't want to know it. I don't want to learn it. It doesn't make sense to me. My dad was really a heavy investor in the stock market it's not something that I know or care to learn. It's not my comfort zone. So when I was looking at like, okay, the 401k, the, or it was a 403b that I had through as a school social worker. It was not doing anything, anything for me. You know, it was kind of like here and then maybe here and then here and then like here. And I was like, how am I going to ever retire with this? Especially as entrepreneurs, you know how that goes. Like the entrepreneurs, we don't have a pension. We don't have a 401k matching. We don't have anything like that. So I'm like, okay. When I, I, like you said, reading books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The Millionaire Next Door, how are these people doing it? And a lot of it is either stock market, if you know how to do it. I'm, and, and I'm, I even had like a financial advisor through, okay, I won't mention the company, but the back end fees, it was just not, it's just not good. Like I had these clients, photographer clients who were big wig financial advisors and they were like, don't do it. Like take out your money out of, I wasn't with them personally, but they were like, yeah, you need to either learn how to do it on your own. Unless I was like investing, you know, millions, then you want someone, whatever. Right. It's a whole other story. Sure. So I'm like, okay, some the wealthiest people in the world, not that I'm trying to be the wealthiest person in the world, but I want the life that I want. I want to travel when I want, you know, I want to do what I want and that requires money. So how am I going to get that? It's not going to be through the stock market for me. And real estate was really, or you could do it through owning a business. Like that's another thing. They say that the three really top ways to build a lot of wealth is some sort of business, which I have, but you know, Nikki Kloster photography 
has done, trust me, I've done very well with it. I'm not saying that I haven't, but I don't want to be slanging a camera when I'm 80 years old, Right. you know? So owning a business or, um, real estate. So it all goes back to the numbers working and, and, and to answer your question, I know this is total roundabout way. It's always about do the numbers work. Yeah. That's all it comes down to. As you started to get into dream life and grow that business, yeah, right. You've got partners, right? You've got so, lawyers, and yeah. I'm sure you've got a whole staff. Oh yeah, right. Well, yeah. there's a lot more to think about now. There is, and and I started saying this, and then I got sidetracked as I normally do. But when when it was just Dan and I, and I was my husband's like, "What building are we buying, babe?" Right. Like right. he, I mean. Like he builds things with his hands. He's an electrician. He's amazing like that. But he just kind of trusts that I'm going to be the one to make the decisions around things, which, because it just makes sense because that's more how my brain works. But when it came time to some of these bigger deals, I'm like, how are we going to scale this? My business partner, Aaron, who I've been working with, you know, Aaron Anderson, we've been working in the photographic industry. He's a producer. He's not a photographer. He's a producer. His brain works different than mine. And, you know, he's a numbers guy. He is an analytical guy. He is, um, he's awesome. And we have separate skill sets. And so he's the one who turned, who's the producer who turned me on to listening to Bigger Pockets. And he had been, Aaron listened to Bigger Pockets because he had been re- investing in real estate himself. So when it came time, you know, we were both doing these things separately. And we were like, dang, if we joined forces, we have both of our skill sets. This could be really amazing. And so that's kind of how we just started thinking about it, you know, and so many family and friends and, you know, people who like follow on social media were like, how are you doing this? You know, what are you doing? I want to invest in real estate and there's different levels of investing. That's something that I didn't mention too. People can invest passively through syndications, which is what we do through dream life. So Aaron and I do all the work. People give us their money legally. You know, we have attorneys and contracts, you know, all the things. And then we invest it. In properties for them that we put our money in as well. We always put our own money money in as well because we're always going to put our money where our mouth is. We have property managers. My tenants in my first building that I bought, they think I'm the painter. They think I'm like the hedge trimmer. Like they have no idea that I own it. Like I show up in my minivan and I'm just like with my hedge trimmer, like, you know, they have no idea. You know, there are certain levels of comfort that people have with how inner intertwined they are, you know, with tenants and things like that. I choose to be like a silent owner. I have an amazing property management company who does all of that. So for people who were asking us, how do you do this? Or like, I don't want to be a landlord, but I want to invest in real estate. They trust us with their money to invest into a property that they get good returns on. So that's kind of how it works. I've invested in some real estate trusts before, Um, you know, bigger stuff where they're developing third world countries and I'm going to own, you know, half of Guatemala someday, according to my financial advisor. You know, when you're in investing in in a REIT like that, you don't really have the attachment to it. When you're working with a syndication company like yours, an investment company like yours, there is a personal interaction. So you feel more invested in the property. I get to believe that that creates a really nice interaction between you and the clients, right? Yeah. Because it's yeah, sure. you're, you're able to explain to them exactly what's being done at every one of the properties that they may be asking about, right? Because you are there, you're in the business. 
Yeah. Right? Is that generally how it works? Oh, for sure. I'll, I'll give you. So I have a friend who has invested in a couple different syndications over the years. And mm-hmm. they said so with some of these bigger companies, it was, it was hard because, you know, they felt comfortable because they had this huge long track record, but there was no communication. There was no just kind of personal interaction and they didn't always know when they were going to get their money, you know, just things like that. Whereas they invested us with us on this last deal. And, uh, you know, it's great. We give quarterly reports and they can ask any time and I'm a text or a call away. And so it just depends, you know, we're more of like a mom and pop syndication where, I mean, like we have our, our lives are on the line too. So we make smart decisions. You know, we have, we run those numbers until they are like run into the ground. And then we do our projections conservatively because again, it's our livelihood just as much as, as, as it is the people who invest with us. Sure. So, but that what? comes back to the whole no like, and trust thing. Either they do know me or they feel like they do because of, you know, I put my, I put everything out there and the, in the podcasts and the way I teach my courses and everything. And so when you kind of know, like, and trust someone, you're willing to, you know, invest is- or purchase for them or whatever. Is there a minimum for people to get in or is it better off that they just contact you, look at what their goals are, and maybe you have something for them? How does that that generally work? It depends deal to deal. You know, like we did a friends and family deal where as long as I knew, like as long as we knew you in some capacity prior to talking to you about this deal, you could invest. A B deal is the people that you're investing with you have to, you have to know them in some capacity first. A C deal, you don't have to know the people, but they have to be accredited investor, which means they have to be worth a certain amount or have a certain liquid, you know, net liquid amount of money available to them. So for our B deals, it tends to be a less of an investment because it's for our family and friends and they don't have to be accredited sort of thing. So it just depends. It just depends on, on each deal. Where I was getting at is different people have different risk tolerances with their investments, right? And so a lot of times we know that real estate is a good, solid, long-term game. When people want to invest, they're like, yes, I'd love to do this. I'd love to start building wealth. I only have $500, $1,000. Do I need 50000 a 100000 to work with a company like yours, or are there opportunities? I know the return will be smaller, but are there opportunities for smaller form investment? There are. Kind of the way that we look at it, like we we had uh, a couple people say, hey, I have a HELOC, a home equity, home equity line of credit available to me. And our question to them is, what's your percentage rate? What's your payment going to be? If So one woman in particular, she had a HELOC, but her interest rate was like 7%. And when we did the math, we were like, this doesn't make sense for you. It's not a big enough return for what you're doing for this to make sense. You know, you could maybe take that money and use it like, but that was the hard part because she didn't really want to buy her own building, you know? So it's tricky where we have another person who invested in a HELOC, but she's been sitting on it for a couple of years already. So her interest rate was like 2.75 or like something super. So it made sense for her to invest, you know? So we don't, we're not just going to take anyone's money you know, if this $10,000 that you have in your bank account is the last thing that you have, I I don't, we don't feel comfortable unless that's what you want to do and you're insistent on it. Like, what if you lose your job? What if, you know, are you going to need that money to eat? Because once it's locked in with us, 
it depends on the length of the deal. Like the current deal that we have going, it's like a three-year deal where a lot of deals are like five years, seven years. In in some of the bigger syndication companies, it's five to 10 years, you know? So it just depends on everyone's, like we're not just trying to take money from just anyone. Well, at the same time too, it's it's a partnership that you're getting into with the investor, right? Mm-hmm. And this again comes back to where we started with the social work and caring about people and guiding them in the right yeah. way. And you could sit there and take people's money all day long. And be like, yeah, no, that's your last ten thousand. Well, do you have ten thousand and five? Like, just do right. that, right? And some people are like that. Some people are like that. Yeah. But this is this is that thing that is innate, I think, in you, and I see it in Aaron the same way. Is that you actually care about people, and by going about this the way that you are and understanding what your clients are investing, it does give a different level of customer service. It does give a different level of connection to the company itself that, you know, I'm spending my money to support. I want to know that they have my best interest at heart. And there's no better way to do that than to actually be talking to one of the people that owns the company, will be making the investments, will be trimming the hedges, yeah. right? So all that sort of stuff. And it just, it it's this common thread that I've seen through everything that you do. So it makes perfect sense. How does eight-year-old Nikki feel when she looks at 46-year-old Nikki and what you've created? With oh, all man. Of if I could go back to her and just tell her certain things, but then maybe I, if I knew those things back then, would I, I don't know. I mean, I feel very excited. I feel very excited about the direction of my life and I still have just so much more to live. You know, I, I always joke that I, I, well, okay. I'm not going to say that I'm joking. I'm dead fucking serious about this universe, God, whatever, that I want to live till I'm 105. Because as you know, I had my first son when I was 39, my second when I was 41. I want to be a grandma. Like I want to, you know, reap the rewards of everything I've been doing. And, and I am now, I am enjoying it and loving it. And, you know, I've done a lot of stupid shit in my life. The only thing I really regret is not starting to invest in real estate sooner. Uh, You know, instead of all that rent money that I threw away for all those years, I wish I was savvier. I mean, obviously I bought the condo, but I bought it when the numbers didn't make sense. Like I wish I was savvier and learned more and knew more. Like my dad taught me about credit card debt and, you know, things like that. He was, you know, he did teach me about stuff like that, but I just didn't listen or didn't care whatever. I don't know. That is what I would tell eight-year-old Nikki. Start saving for your first duplex right now. (laughs) Like your risk tolerance how would you define that? Would you define like your whole life has been like you're risk averse, you tolerate risk well. Do you feel like you've become riskier? Do you feel like you No, I feel like I've kind of gotten less less risky because of the knowledge that I have. Mm. Like when I was quitting my social work job and moving into full-time photography, a lot of people won't take that risk cuz it is scary. You know, I'm losing this even though it was a small paycheck. I was losing this kind of stable paycheck, but I was willing to take that risk because to me, it's worth it. If I am, if I am unhappy, I will take any risk as long as it's a mostly smart risk because I am not willing to live in an unhappy place in my, I'm just, I'm just not. So whatever risk I need to take, I'm going to try not to be stupid about it. Whereas I feel like there's different types of risks. There's risks of like starting a new career and working hard and building that up versus a risk with a property where the numbers work and we have X, Y, Z as backup plans if 
you know, we have exit strategies versus a risk of like, I'm going to go to Costa Rica for a month or, you know, I don't know. Like I've always been someone, if I want to do it, I'm just going to do it. One of my best friends has been unhappy with her job for probably 15 years, Matt. And I'm like, how can you like, it's not, she's not even like, like she looks sometimes, but it's not even like she's doing anything to change it. And I don't, and she always said like, you just, you just take more risks than I do. And I'm like, no, I'm just not willing to be unhappy. I think the big difference that people don't realize, and I didn't realize this for a long time, is there's a huge difference between risk and fear. Fear of moving forward, fear of change, fear of something being unstable. That is much different than risk, where you look at all the factors on the table and you're like, yeah, that's scary. Yeah, it'll be unstable. However, I'm willing to bet that if I wait this long, it will be to my advantage or not. And that's a different thing than fear. They fear the change and the discomfort that will come with being who they really want to be or where Mm -hmm. they really want to go. Totally. You know, obviously one of, you know, my mentor, one of my best friends and one of your mentors as well, Sue Bryce, she always says that like with change comes pain. You know, when you're making big changes, there's going to be pain. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be scary, but it's like, well, if you're willing to stay here and stay in the unhappiness, you've got to accept it or you have to change it and go through. I think people spend so much time fantasizing about all the things that could go wrong or all the ways they're going to lose money or they're going to fail or instead of visualizing, oh my God, if I just make this in only five years, I can have all of that. It's such a strange way that we're biased towards negativity. Whenever I talk to you about real estate, whenever I talk to you about business in general, you get all lit up. You get all lit up because you're not sitting there worried about what's happening. You're excited about what's coming down the road. Yeah. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that's not to say I don't have my days where I'm like, no, of course. Holy shit. You know, but yeah, it is. I'm I I do. I get excited about the future. I get, you know, it's more of like what good could happen as opposed to what could go wrong, I guess. Yeah. So. What's next? Where are you leading? Did I see you're speaking in New Zealand? I am. Yeah, I was invited to speak at NZIPP for the yeah New Zealand International Portrait Photographers. Yeah, That's so I amazing. get to do that. That's really cool. You know, I still do shoot. Like I just did a photo viewing this morning. You know, I'm still doing that. Not not as much because I'm I'm really loving teaching other photographers and then real estate and but I mean my main focus is to be a farmer mom and just really enjoy as much time with my kids and at home as I can while making a living doing things that I love. So, you know, shoots, photo shoots here and there, doing my courses. I have another course coming up uh, for photographers, doing the the real estate. And eventually, you know, five or so years, I'd like to retire and only do real estate and just have that income there. And then if I want to do photo shoots, I can. If I want to make another course, like, you know, just kind of leave the options open. You've been someone that I think has always taken a very realistic and pragmatic approach towards balancing life and work. And sure, it's been out of balance at some points, I'm sure. But it always comes back to what it is that you want, which is Mm -hmm. this 
balance and freedom and ability to be with your family and put chandeliers and chicken coops. Mm -hmm. And like, this is really what you want to do. If I were to ask you that same question that Sue asked all of us, what do you want? How do you answer that today? You know, okay. Like when, when I quit my social work job to become a full-time photographer, that felt really amazing. Mm -hmm. But it's like, oh, but I also need and want this and this and this. Like, I don't think I took a whole lot of time to sit in my like joy of, of where I was moving towards in each of those steps. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think I forget to do that even now. Like, you know, so people listening out there, every baby step you take, like give yourself some credit, like everything you're doing to move towards a goal. I think we're just like, well, well, what next and what next and what next, you know? So I just want to make sure, like, that's just something that I'm currently working on is like, just, you know, remembering that everything that I've done, like, I don't always want to keep pushing the bar forward and forward and forward. So I'm never in the moment. I, I'm very anti-hustle culture, right? I'm, I want to stay present. I want to stay grateful for what I have, yeah. but I know that I'm destined for more. Yes. Yes. My There's a balance there. Totally. My clarity on what I want in 10 years is going to be different than what I want next week. Mm -hmm. But I know that I want more and I'm destined for more. I often forget to be grateful just here. Mm -hmm. Right. Eight-year-old Matt would be like, fuck you. You're never getting to where you're, you know, like you're yeah. never going to have a house in the mountains and a business and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And a podcast. Yeah. In a, in a podcast. And I have to look back and just be grateful sometimes. So I ask you that question, what do you want? Knowing that that's going to change and knowing that too, you are incredibly reflective and grateful for what you have. What is it that, you know, where are you going? I don't know what that will look like and how I'll contribute to society in that way with financially. I don't know what that'll look like yet. Farmer mom that is extremely rich, like rich enough that I can do what I want when I want to do it. And I can also, you know, help. Yeah. A very rich farmer mom. It's, it's good enough to have that image and just, am I walking towards that or not? Everything that you do, am I walking towards that or not? Whether I achieve it or whether it changes, doesn't matter. Am I walking towards what I feel I want right now? Another thing that I, a part that I left out there is the photographer piece. There's something I think really, really special in knowing that I can at any time take out my camera and capture my family, my friends, and even clients. Like God, the photo viewing that I had today with my client was, I wish I could, had it recorded, Matt. Everything that we say for why we do it, she was like, I literally saw that. Okay. The first shoot she did with me was four years ago. She's like, the, I literally saw myself different in these photos so much so that I branded my company around the photos. Like you changed the way I saw myself. How many times have we heard Sue say that? Like, I want you to change the way you see yourself. She fucking said that. And I was like, <laughs> you could be like a commercial for what I do. And she's like, I will be, you tell me where you want me to say this, you know, cause we just did her second shoot and I yeah. just did her reveal anyway. So there is something that's so special and beautiful and wonderful about being a photographer. And I know that in some capacity, I will always be taking photographs, you know, whether or not it's for money or teaching people to do it. I don't know. And that piece is very, you know, important to my, my heart as well. So I just want to make sure I 
as we start to land this plane, I've got three pages of questions for you. <laughs> and I've asked you like two that have been on my sheet. Um, <laughs> we can have a part two. If you could collaborate, let's take Sue out of the picture for a second. Mm -hmm. Take Aaron out of the picture. If you can collaborate with any entrepreneur, living or deceased, who would it be? Who would you sit down and have that conversation with? Is there someone that sticks out to you? Oh my God. I just watched the movie Air with Michael Jordan and his mom. I'll take his mom any day. Did you watch Any that? day, six times on Sunday. Yeah. Incredible. Watching that movie and how she managed that career was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I love sitting here and watching your career. I love the fact that I've got a chance to know you. And I love the fact that you are helping so many people through everything that you do, whether it's through this platform or whether it's showing them a different side of themselves or giving them a whole bunch of zeros in their bank account. You're an amazing person who's given me a ton of time here. Thanks, Thank Matt. you, Nikki. I can't, I can't express how much gratitude I have for you and just being you. Oh, thank you so much, Matt. You're, you're awesome. It's, this has been wonderful. And you're a really great interviewer too. And I oh, can't thanks. talk about everyone. So, so I'm going to see you uh, at Portrait Masters in September. Yeah, maybe we can sit down and have that cocktail and dig into this a little bit more. Yeah, anytime. Fantastic. You know All right, on to 3 million. I will catch up with you soon, Nikki. Thank you. Thanks, so Matt. Much. I appreciate right. it. That was awesome. Bye-bye. Hey there. Can I ask you a favor? If you're loving every minute of the show, and I hope you are, then subscribing is like becoming an honorary member of an exclusive club. Subscribing means you'll never miss a single episode, and trust me, you won't want to miss what I have in store. But here's the extra special request. I'd love it if you could take a moment to leave a five-star review. Your review is like a virtual high five. It lets me know I'm on the right track and helps others discover the show, too. Your feedback and support mean the world to me. I read each and every review, and they inspire me to keep bringing you the best content possible. So grab your phone and show some love with that five-star review. It's quick, it's easy, and it makes a huge difference. Thanks so much for being an amazing listener. Together, let's keep the conversations going. Subscribe, review, and let's make this podcast journey unforgettable.